0: listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at SojournFairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word.
1: We're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning, Merry
0: Christmas to you. It's good to uh, be with you this morning. I know uh, some of you are, are in town visiting with family, and so we're grateful that you're here worshiping with us this morning as others are from our congregation, from our church are out of town visiting with family and friends as well. But we are grateful that this is who God saw fit to be here this morning as we rejoice in singing songs of praise to Him and about Him. And now as we open up His Word to come and see our Savior. So before we dive into our text in Colossians 1, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless this time. Father, what a a glorious and great day it is. It's a great day because you saw fit for us to be here today, to be able to get up and, and come and gather together as your church, your people, on this fourth Sunday of Advent. And so God, we rejoice in that. We give you thanks for that. As I know, other brothers and sisters are unable to be here this morning for a variety of reasons, but God, we're grateful for your grace and your kindness towards us. And God, I pray now that as we come and and open up your word I pray that you'd help us this morning by your spirit to come and see your glory in the person of Christ no matter where we find ourselves on our spiritual journey whether we are walking very closely with Jesus and and this season of Advent maybe has been particularly a strengthening of our faith as we've been able to come and see the glory of Christ or maybe for others of us this morning we're not even sure if this whole Christmas thing is really about Jesus at all God I pray that you would draw us into your presence today. God, you were ever present in our lives and oftentimes we don't acknowledge that, but I pray this morning, right now in this moment, we would acknowledge your presence and by your spirit you would help us to see. And as we see that you'd lead us to worship and as we worship, we would live lives that are pleasing to you as we go out through this week, rejoicing in the fact that you have made yourself known to us. That you've provided a way for us to be in relationship with you and now We can be called children of God. We rejoice in that today. We give you thanks, and we pray that you bless our time now in your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I think it's crazy that Christmas is almost here, and, and it's actually, I was thinking about this the other day, it's almost the end of a decade. We have nine days left, right? And then it's the end of the 2010s. Where has time gone? That's crazy. I can't believe that. Uh, thinking about that. But you know, during this time of year, it's obvious that something we do normally is we exchange gifts. We give gifts to people. We receive gifts from others. And we just had our staff elder Christmas kind of end of year celebration on Friday. We're hanging out, having a good time. But in the midst of that, we exchange gifts with one another. You know, when it comes to gift giving and receiving, there can sometimes be a little bit of a, a paradox that's at play when we give gifts. We tend to think in life that bigger is better, but that's not always the case when it comes to the gifts we give. The size of the gift sometimes is disproportionate to the significance of it, right? Jewelry comes in small boxes, washing machines don't. Husbands, please don't get a washing machine for your wife unless she asks for it. Um, You you never really know by, by looking at the size of the gift all wrapped up what it might mean to you until you actually open it up, until you actually see what it is. Well, as we come to this Sunday, this fourth fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to take some time to look once again at the greatness and glory of Jesus coming to us. To fix our eyes on Him. And as we've tried to be encouraging our kids and reminding ourselves, and even as Edward reminded us this morning, the greatest gift ever given to us is Christ. But Jesus also came in a paradoxical way. He came in the humblest of forms yet had an enormous cosmic impact. He came as a tiny baby, but with eternal significance. So as we close out this Advent season looking forward to gathering together on Christmas Eve in just a few days, the invitation remains for all of us this morning to come and see His glory. To come and see the glory of God in the person and work of Christ. To see His character and His nature. To really see who Jesus is. In our text today, Paul, the author, makes an epically profound statement about the reality that who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do has both a macro and micro impact. It changed the whole world and all the cosmos for all time, and at the very same time, it changes your individual life. My hope for you today, my hope for you today is hope. Not wishful thinking, but real, lasting hope that is rooted in the person of Christ in Him alone. A hope that doesn't come from merely looking back to what Jesus has done, but also looking forward to what He's doing right now and in the future what He will do. A hope that enables you to hold fast no matter what's going on in your life right now. A hope that allows you to persevere no matter what's going to come down the road in your life in days and years to come until Jesus comes again or calls you home. So with that, let's dive into our text this morning from Colossians chapter 1, and may we come and see his glory today. The book of Colossians is a a glorious letter that Paul is writing to followers of Jesus in a city called Colossae. And it's a, it's a rich letter. It has so much about Jesus. We heard from some of it this morning in our liturgy. But here in this section, what we're looking at here this morning is, is really kind of Paul taking a moment to step aside and give a little bit of autobiography about what's going on in his life. He tells the Colossians that he's rejoicing in his suffering. He's rejoicing in his suffering, something that we oftentimes don't think is a, a normal thing for any of us to do He's rejoicing in his suffering because it served to make much of Jesus. Now, this isn't physical suffering. It isn't mental suffering that's going on. He's suffering for his ministry. He's suffering because he's been proclaiming Christ to the world around him. And a lot of people don't like that. And so he's been attacked and with words attacked physically in the midst of his desire to make much of Jesus. He suffers not just for the sake of suffering either. He's not trying to bring it on himself, he's suffering for the sake of the church. He says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in verse 24 and 25. And now, that can sound kind of strange to us. What Paul isn't saying is that Jesus is insufficient. That that Jesus didn't get to finish everything that he wanted to finish. No, what Paul is saying is, is that he, along with anyone else that's seeking to make much of Jesus, is they are going to suffer for the sake of the body of Jesus for the sake of the church. That they're able to continue on in that suffering that Christ first brought, filling up, and making much of him as they go about the world, telling the world about Jesus. And this is the reality of Paul's life. Verse 28 and 29, he says he toils and struggles to make Jesus known. He's striving to do that, to present everyone mature in Christ. He's living his life in such a way that it's going to cause difficulty. It's going to cause Struggle and suffering, but he's willing and wanting to do it because he wants people to really and truly know who Jesus is. And that's really the reason why he does this. In verse 25, he says he was made a minister by God, a a preacher and proclaimer of God's word, a steward of the message that God had given to him. It's a responsibility he now has. And the reason he embraces this responsibility is willing to suffer, willing to struggle and toil for the sake of others, for the sake of the church now and in the future is because Jesus came into Paul's life and radically transformed it. Paul wasn't seeking Jesus. In fact, he was railing against Jesus' followers. But Jesus stepped into Paul's life. He interrupted Paul's life. He invaded Paul's life. And in the midst of his invasion of Paul's life, he radically transformed it. And Paul recognizes the life he has in Jesus. He recognizes this treasure that's been given to him. And now he knows, I can't just keep it to myself. I have to tell the world around me. A treasure, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, that he carries around in a jar of clay. His weak body. He knows he doesn't have it all together. He can't figure it all out, but he knows he has this treasure that must be communicated to the world. And that brings us to verse 26 and 27. And in these verses, Paul makes a significant statement that is at the core, the center of why Paul would spend his entire life for the sake of God's people. And this is where we're going to spend our time together this morning because when I, what I want us to see in this is that we would grow in our hope, but we would also have the same desire in our own lives that Paul has when we come and see the glory of Jesus. Paul says he's given this ministry to make the Word of God fully known. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now when Paul says a mystery revealed here and a mystery hidden, he's not talking about a puzzle to be figured out or, or some kind of enigma for us that we just, we just can't quite wrap our minds around or understand. When he's using the word mystery here, he's talking about something being incomplete And the mystery isn't about a timeline, about when certain things would happen. It's more about a person. See, God made clear throughout history that he was going to send a redeemer. He made clear throughout history that he was going to send a rescuer for his people to rescue them from their sin and rebellion. The part that was a mystery was exactly how this was going to happen. It came in parts and pieces, clues in signposts, prophecies and promises. We could go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture and see that God said to Adam and Eve that a Redeemer would come, a Rescuer would come. He said the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. Not the seeds of Eve, the seed, this one singular human being would come into history at some point in time and crush the head of the serpent. Through Abraham, He said, I'm going to make you a father of the nations. And through you, through your family, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. Through David, he said, "I'm going to establish your kingdom forever, and I'm going to put a king on your throne who will be this Messiah, who will be this rescuer, and his throne will never end, his rule will never will never end. He will be king forever and ever and ever." We go to the book of the prophets, and we see over and over again how they point to this rescuer and this redeemer coming. In the book of Isaiah, over and over again, there will be a, a child that will be born, and he will lead God's people. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Out of the stump of Jesse, that's been cut down, God's people scattered. All over the place, a, a branch will come out and he will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace in his government. His rule and reign will be forever. He will be born, this rescuer, this Redeemer, Micah tells us in a town called Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up, the prophets were screaming at God's people He is coming! He is coming! Look for him! Wait for him! They knew that he would be a greater prophet than Moses. They knew that he would be the final priest, that there'd be no more need for a priesthood. They knew that he'd be the eternal king who would sit on the throne forever, but exactly how he would bring all these things to be and bear in his world was unknown. It was a mystery. You and I, we have a hard time with mystery, I think. And I I think the, the core reason that we can struggle with mystery in our lives is because we like to be in control. See, mystery reminds us that we're not in control, that we don't have it all together, that we haven't figured it all out. And we live in this post-enlightenment time, which tells us that we can figure everything out. And if we can't figure it out, then it must not be true. So let's dismiss it. So we have rejected wonder. We've rejected mystery. But you know what? God's people throughout history were not only familiar with mystery, they leaned into it. They leaned into mystery and anticipation. God is faithful. He's faithful to his plans. He's faithful to his purposes. He's faithful to his people. There may be mystery, but that's because God is at work. Let's wait and see. Let's lean in in anticipation. God's people looked forward in hope. And now Paul says, the mystery has been revealed. The mystery has been revealed. And who has it been revealed to? It's been revealed to his saints, to God's set-apart people. God chose to make it known to us. He chose to make it known. He is the one who gives us ears to hear and eyes to see. He gives us knowledge and the ability to understand this mystery once hidden for ages, now made known to us in the person of Christ. And what is this mystery? He makes it abundantly clear in this text. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, when Paul says Christ in you, he's communicating something absolutely foundational about the effect of the good news of the gospel. The effect of the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to rescue and redeem. He lived a perfect life, born into this world, just like you and I are born into humanity, taking on human form, and he he lived in a world full of temptation, full of difficulty, yet he walked in perfect obedience before the Father, never disobeying, never rebelling, never seeking to go his own way, but walking in complete obedience, full righteousness. Then Jesus willingly went to a Roman cross, his hands outstretched, nailed to this Roman cross, tried falsely, accused falsely by the religious leaders of his time, crucified on that cross, not because he did anything wrong, but he went in the place of you to be your substitute, that on that cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied in him. That if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God now looks at you and sees that your sin has been paid for in full because Jesus took all that on for you. But Jesus didn't stay dead. That's not the end of the gospel. He was raised again from the grave to rule and reign over all creation forever and ever and ever. Jesus came to us to explain God to us. If you want to know who God is, if you want to have an understanding of his grace and his glory, you find it in Christ. You look to it in Jesus. But see, the reality is we all run from God. We all seek to go our own way, to try and be the ruler of our own life. Yet, God, in His loving kindness, in His amazing grace, sent His Son to not only take on your humanity, but to rescue you from your sin and rescue you from yourself. Jesus accomplished redemption for all who would believe in him. It is by grace, through faith in Christ, that you are saved. We celebrate Advent because of this amazing news. Church, Christ has come, redemption has been accomplished. But see, you need to understand that when you are redeemed to God, when you are restored to a right relationship with God, you are not only transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You don't just experience rescue. You get Jesus. You get Jesus. You are united with Christ. So many times in Scripture... If you have placed all of your faith and all of your trust and all of your hope in Jesus, who He is and what He came to do, you are said to be in Christ. You identify with Him in His death and His resurrection. In Jesus, you are no longer captive to sin. You are free. But what does Paul say here? He says Christ is in you. This is part of your union with Jesus. It's part of your new identity, but it's not the exact same as you being in Christ. See, a promise and product of the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, coming to bear in and on your life is that Christ dwells within you by his Holy Spirit. He has taken up residence within you if you've placed your faith in Jesus. But let me be clear here. Christ in you is not you inviting Jesus meek and mild into your heart. I, sometimes I think this can be unhelpful language that we can tend to use with children. Like, if you want to be saved, just to ask Jesus into your heart. And that's hard for kids to understand. Like, is he in my left ventricle? Like, I don't understand. What does it mean for Jesus to be in my heart? And I, don't, I don't think it's only unhelpful language for kids. I think it can be unhelpful language for us because here's why. When and if you place your faith in Jesus to be your rescuer and redeemer, there is no inch of your life. There is no aspect of your life that he doesn't rule and reign over. It's not just your heart. Because Christ in you, the outworking of his life, his death and his resurrection being applied to you is Jesus fundamentally redefining you. He comes to rule and reign over every aspect of who you are, not as a harsh dictator, but as a benevolent, gracious servant king who calls us to follow him. The one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The king who says to you now, come to me and I will give you rest. Follow me and I will give you abundant life. All of Jesus' commands are for your good. All of Jesus' commands are for your joy. And he is ever present with you, dwelling within you by his spirit to help you walk and live in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of your calling as a son or daughter of the king. Christ is in you. If you've placed your faith in him, Christ is in you, his presence with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you, never abandon you or dismiss you. He is over you. He covers over you. He is above you. He is before you and in him and through him. He holds all things together around you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. This is at the core of the mystery that God has revealed to his people. It's the pinnacle of the promise of reconciliation and restoration that Jesus brings. Do we understand this? The holy God of all creation who came to us as one of us to rescue us will be directly involved in your life and our world. Personally present in the lives of his people. All of them. See, when Paul says Christ in you, the you is plural. Christ in, among, with, with all of you. If you've placed your faith in Christ, Christ dwells here this morning in all of us together. And there's power in that. When we think about God's people coming together, that by his spirit, Christ dwells within us together. What an amazing pictures. We look around and we think about who sits near us, everybody with their own unique story. Their own unique story of rebellion, their own unique story of salvation, but what remains the same is Jesus rules and reigns over all of us. There's a beautiful picture of Christ making us a body together, a family together, dwelling with us, in us, as we dwell with one another in unity and in peace. It's a changing of your identity at its core, both personally and corporately. Fundamentally changing you. The heart of stone that was in your chest that beat only for self and your glory has been ripped out of your chest. And in in that place, you've had a heart transplant, and a new heart of flesh has been put into your chest that now beats for God and his glory. What an amazing picture of grace. See, we can't forget that when sin entered into the world, you were identified with Adam, he was your representative. Romans 5 tells us that, that when Adam sinned, all sinned, and through him sin and death came. What Paul is calling our attention to this morning, what he's reminding us of is this, that God's new covenant people who've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone are now and forever completely identified with their new representative, Jesus. See, I also don't want us to miss something here that can continue to be an encouragement to us. Look at verse 27 again. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We preach from the translation uh, of the scriptures, the ESV, and in the ESV, it translates this word Gentile here for us, and that can be confusing for us, but the Greek word that's often translated Gentile means the nations or ethnicities. What Paul is highlighting here What he's celebrating here that we also should take up in celebration and rejoice in is the wonderful truth that the riches of the glory of this mystery, Christ redeeming, Christ restoring, Christ reconciling, Christ graciously ruling, is great among the nations. It's great among all people. See, the glory of the gospel that began with the promise to Adam and Eve that God would redeem what they had destroyed, That would come through Abraham's family and David's lineage, who was prophesied and spoken of and promised at many times and in many ways. The one who would be called Jesus because because he would save his people from their sin is the reality that his people are men and women from every tribe, every language, and every nation. In Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility is torn down. There are no walls separating people because you look different or are different or come from a different place or speak a different language because you're a man or a woman in Christ we are brought together. One of the glories of the gospel is that Jesus rescues people from every corner of the earth and unites them together. Even in their differences, we come together in unity in Christ. Why? Because he is the only savior. He's the only Lord of the whole world. Which means he is the only savior for you in your individual life seeking to redeem you down to the very internal workings of who you are as an individual to transform everything about your life that once you were dead but now you've been made alive in christ let me ask you this morning have you placed your faith and trust in christ in christ alone and are you now the confidence of your salvation the confidence of christ being in you isn't based off a past experience Christ in you right now, the confidence you have that he dwells among you is because you're believing in him now. Your faith is in him now. Are you trusting in Jesus today? See, this new identity, it doesn't just give you hope for now. It also gives you hope for the future. See, Christ in you, the fact that he indwells you, is present with you, it gives you a rock-solid assurance. A rock-solid assurance, guarantee of a future life with Jesus when he returns. That's why Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Hope of glory is the certainty that if you are in Christ, and Christ in you, you will experience final glory. Jesus will never drop you. He'll never let go of you. He'll hold on to you forever and ever and see you all the way home. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 says this, Through him... Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of glory is assurance that you will not only see the Father and the Son and the Spirit in all glory, but you'll share in that glory forever and ever with them. See, the hope you now have is that Jesus has come And when He came, He died in your place and He rose again. He rose again to rule and reign and in that you have life. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if Christ is in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The hope you have now It's not just that Jesus has come, but that Jesus will come again. And because he dwells within you by his Holy Spirit, you have a guarantee that he will make you more and more like himself until one day you will be with him forever and ever in glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, when you believed in Christ, this is what happened to you, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What this means is, is that Christ in you is a promise made by God to you. It's a promise that he is with you, that he will never leave you, that you will be made like him. It's a promise that your redemption, which is not yet complete, will be fully realized, that everything sad will come untrue, that restoration will be complete, that shalom will be restored, that perfect harmony and wholeness and peace that only Jesus can bring. Everything culminates in this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it provides genuine hope. This isn't wishful thinking. Paul isn't saying to you this morning, "Christ in you, I kind of hope it works out for you. Maybe it'll work out for you. No, he's putting this down as a etched in stone, never-to-be- erased certainty for you. Because Christ is in you, you can have hope for all eternity. It's real, lasting hope precisely because it's tied to and rooted in Jesus, in Jesus alone. The fact that you can have hope for what's coming down the road tomorrow for you, it's not because of extenuating circumstances, because you're hoping to get a nice bonus at the end of this year, or the beginning of the year. It's not hope in extenuating circumstances that other things in your life will work out. It's not even in your ability to maintain this kind of hope or manipulate to grab onto it that if you do more good things than bad things, then you'll be okay. You can see the opposite is also true. Apart from Jesus, there is no real hope. Apart from Jesus, there is no full and final glory. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. So let me ask you, have you experienced the life that King Jesus gives? Are you experiencing Christ dwelling within you even now? Recognizing his presence in your life? And does it give you hope? If it doesn't, for you this morning, I'd encourage you to take that and and think on it and pray through it and talk with others about it. Maybe you've never actually trusted in Christ. And that's okay, we're glad you're here this morning, but I hope you will. And maybe you have trusted in Christ and you're just wrestling right now, not feeling joy, not feeling hope, but maybe it's because you've ignored the fact that you have Christ within you. He's right there, ever present with you. Christ in you is a foundational truth to what it means to be saved it undergirds your redemption you don't have to wonder you don't have to worry and see because of this glorious truth Paul says in verse 28 him we proclaim Jesus we proclaim why because Jesus is anyone's only hope so then for us like Paul I want us to take up this same thing that anywhere we go, everywhere we go, everyone we have the joy of engaging with, that we would recognize that we are given an opportunity not to proclaim ourselves, not to say, look at me, look how great I am, look at how I've cleaned my life up because I have this faith, not to promote some kind of religion or a good way to live, that we would see it as an opportunity, a privilege, a joy of proclaiming Jesus, and Jesus alone, because we honestly and truly believe that it's only through him that they also might experience life and hope and future glory. It must be, always be, Jesus above all. He is our greatest treasure that came to us in the humblest of forms to transform the world and transform our lives. As we come to the close of Advent, With Christmas just three days away, we've had the opportunity over these last few weeks, over this Advent season, to come and see Jesus' glory. To see how Isaiah spoke of God revealing His glory through Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus would come. To see how the author of Hebrews told us that Jesus would reveal God's glory perfectly and has revealed God's glory perfectly to us. To see how when we behold Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Him, looking at Him in all of His glory, that it utterly changes us from one degree of glory to another. And now, to see that when all of our faith, when all of our trust is placed in and on Jesus, we have hope that we will be with Him in glory forever and ever. Advent is a time, it's a season that the church has set aside for thousands of years. Thousands of years. To take time to have thanks and give thanksgiving that Christ has come. To focus on that. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has come. That is ancient news, but it's never old news. It's never old. When it's a time that for thousands and thousands of years, God's people have set aside to look forward in hope. Hope that one day, Jesus will come again to make all things new. So right now, you may be struggling in life because of your circumstances or situations, loss or difficulty, You may be suffering in some way, but listen to me. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. These are but light and momentary afflictions preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let me encourage you this morning to not let this season pass. Don't let these next few days pass considering the truth of this text this morning. Don't let this next few days pass for you, not giving thanks that God has provided a way for you to be rescued. Don't let these next few days pass, stirring up and renewing your hope that Jesus will come again. Don't let these next few days pass, considering have I actually trusted in Christ? Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a monumental statement that I hope gives you hope today and tomorrow and until Jesus returns calls you home. I want to invite us now to come and see the glory of Jesus as we take communion together. To come and eat the bread, a picture of Jesus's body broken for us. Uh, to come and drink the, the cup, a, a picture of Jesus's blood shed for us. I want to invite us to come and see once again that in Jesus there is life now and hope for a future glory. And as you taste the bread and the, the drink this morning, as you chew and swallow these elements, think on the greatness and glory of God, that in the fullness of time, the eternal Son of God, who holds the very universe together, came into this world in the smallest of ways, as an infant, as a baby, and he would be the greatest gift we could ever receive. The world would never be the same when Jesus came. And the moment you placed your faith in Christ, your life would never be the same either. So rejoice in the hope of the glory of God this morning, friends. Let's come and rejoice in him. Christ is in you. What grace, what truth, what joy. And for those of you that are not followers of Jesus, again, I'm grateful that God brought you to be here this morning, that we could worship God together. But I hope this morning what you hear is that Jesus is your only hope. And so instead of coming forward and taking communion this morning, if you don't yet know Christ, if you haven't placed your faith in him, And I want you to hang out in your seat and just consider what's been said this morning. And if you're ready to begin that relationship with Jesus, to place your faith and place your hope in Him, then tell God that this morning wherever you sit. But know that this community of people around you is here to journey with you in that. We'd love to help you know what it looks like to truly know Christ and follow Him in this life. Those of you that will come forward, there are some tables in the front and in the back. Come forward whenever you're ready, tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink. And what Christ, our Redeemer, has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. God, we give you glory this morning. We give you praise this morning. Glory in the highest to you. Because God, you are amazing. And in Christ, your glory is on display. You poured out grace on us in sending Jesus to us to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from ourselves. And you didn't only rescue us, you didn't only just say you're redeemed, you're forgiven, but our redemption and our forgiveness allows us to be so close to you, to experience your presence in our life so close that Christ dwells within us by your Spirit. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that we would reflect on that over these next few days as we head into Christmas. And just be blown away, overwhelmed by the reality that we can never run away from you. There's never anywhere we can hide from you. That you will never leave us or forsake us. You are ever present with us. God, in that, give us hope. Give us hope that there is a future glory to be had. That we will be with you forever and ever in a place where there is no weeping. There is no crying. There is no sadness. There is no sin. There is no death. There is no suffering. God, we look forward to that day. But until that day, help us to cling fast to you, to hold fast to you, to persevere, to have hope knowing that you are ever with us. We rejoice in you today, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.